0: In March this year, a devastating cyclone tore through Vanuatu. Its 360 kilometre an hour winds wreaked havoc on the Pacific Island archipelago, leaving 11 dead, tens of thousands homeless, and a damage bill in the hundreds of millions. This insight takes a closer look at the power play behind the relief effort in the aftermath of Cyclone Pam.
1: The crew of the super yacht Dragonfly is hard at work. The sleek 73-meter vessel is anchored in a bay off one of the Shepherd Islands in Vanuatu's north. But today's work is not focused on pleasure boating. Dragonfly, Dragonfly, this is a Short Party. Uh, we're currently feet dry on Matasto. Break. On board, a crack team of medics, engineers, and technicians busy ferrying thousands of litres of water they've desalinated and purified via the yacht's onboard system to villagers waiting on the beach.
0: We're we're sucking water from the um, the deck wash tank and we're filling it. These big drums are 1,600 litres. We've got four hoses going in here. Once we fill these drums up, we crank up that crash pump there. And then we suck all the water from these big tanks down through the fire hose into the tender.
1: The community had seen no help since their village was flattened eight days before. But it wasn't easy for the dragonfly to get the green light to help. I'm Koroy Hawkins and this insight explores the tensions around aid in the immediate aftermath of disaster in a region increasingly at risk from intense weather events like Cyclone Pam.
0: It should have been called Pam, it is a monster. We fell down, we roll on the ground, and we get up, try to walk, but we can't. I appeal to all the international agencies throughout the world and throughout the Pacific region and throughout Vanuatu. If you are listening, we need a lot of help.
1: And help did come to Vanuatu, but for more than two weeks it sat in warehouses, not reaching people like Helen Naupa, a leader of the Dillons Bay women's group on Eramango, where Pam made landfall.
2: Facing this cyclone is quite a huge magnitude. Uh, we've never been to any such uh, situation ever since uh, 1987 uh, after Cyclone Uma. And uh, this one is a uh, very big scale, so that uh, it's over, also is overwhelming for the Vanuatu government.
1: And Peter Corissa certainly looked overwhelmed when we first spoke outside Vanuatu's National Disaster Management Office, while his staff unloaded the latest relief supplies from overseas. New Zealand, Australia and France were the first countries to provide relief most of which was stacked and stored by the NDMO.
2: We're not going to distribute anything until we complete assessment. And then we have a good uh, picture of uh, the total uh, number of uh, exact uh, cell damage or uh, number of people uh, affected, and then we can can start uh, making decisions of uh, whether we need to provide some uh, assistance. At the Vanuatu
1: International Airport, Local Red Cross workers transfer sanitation kits, tarpaulins and water containers from a New Zealand Air Force Hercules onto the back of pickup trucks. A Red Cross official, Dickinson Tevi, explains what happens to the aid from here.
2: Uh, what you're seeing here are the goods coming off uh, from the plane that's uh, bringing in uh, stuff from the New Zealand Red Cross. Uh, we are taking them uh, into our... Um, uh, storage facilities at uh, H- H- HQ. And then from there, what happens to the supplies? From there, uh, because we, we work in close coordination with the uh, National Coordination, uh, uh, at the Disaster Department, and uh, uh, we are waiting on the assessments uh, that are currently also being done. We have uh, um, aerial surveillance and all that. So, and then the assessment. As soon as these assessments are complete, we will start to distribute.
1: The government was putting into action its disaster management plan, which first involved aerial and on-the-ground surveys. These took two weeks to complete, and the results showed extensive damage, ranging from 70 to 90% across 22 islands. While the assessments were being carried out, Vanuatu's National Disaster Management Office banned all aid organizations from distributing relief supplies. The NDMO's technical advisor, Benjamin Shing, explains why.
0: It serves two purposes. Primarily, the first one is, is to get uh, government ownership over the, the reconstruction process and the relief efforts, but also to ensure that all the aid that is delivered is delivered in the most efficient and the most effective manner, and It's also a recognition of the fact that all our development partners are treated equally uh, and also be transparent to them and accountable for all the donations that come in and how we spend it.
1: With no aid relief getting out, people were getting restless.
2: I live around the area of Freshwater, uh, about uh, 300 metres from the school, and my roof was blown off, totally blown off. But uh, my kids were here during the cyclone, I was at home to look after our belongings but the roof was blown off, so now I am residing in the school.
1: Sikal Yaruel was one of tens of thousands of Nivanuatuans living in makeshift evacuation centres scattered across the capital, Port
2: Vila, and around the country the people who are here just want to know if the government could uh, give some answers to them quickly because they're living in an institution that will be, you know, the school will resume anytime. time and they just wish like I've said earlier they're the, uh, the rebuilding, depends also on the financial side and if the government could come out publicly and tell them yeah, you could back home, we'll provide you tents in Dub- uh, Dublin so that you can stay there temporarily while rebuilding your. and that's the, the, the people's main concern now so it would be much provide if the authority concern we could give that indication do as to when this help might come.
1: But help was not coming, and the international aid agencies and donor organisations were getting worried. Save the Children was one of a few NGOs able to deliver supplies to people in evacuation centres despite the restrictions. But Evan Shurman at their head office says in PAM's immediate aftermath they were only allowed to give out basic food rations. It's a really difficult situation. There are so many aid agencies and uh, so much support coming in at the moment, so we need to stay as coordinated as possible. Once the assessments are carried out, then aid will be delivered as quickly as possible to the people most in need. And the current system that within which you're working, is it common or is it something um, new for
2: relief work or for, Save the children?
0: Every, every disaster...
1: Uh, Every disaster relief operation has a slightly different system, and we're working as as. Uh efficiently and effectively as possible with all the the partners and agencies involved in this relief uh, so I was asking have you encountered a system like this anywhere else uh, we we often work with uh, governments and often agencies will take uh, governments will take the lead in coordinating uh, the the relief effort and, and coordinating the assessments uh, every every situation is is slightly different though the international media were not so diplomatic. At the nightly press conferences, the National Disaster Management Office was peppered with questions about the delays. But these were parried away by the NDMO's Benjamin
0: Shing. The problem is, if I work on, say, 80 percent, and let's say, hypothetically, if there's 10,000 people over there, 80 percent, then I would need 8,000 shelter kits. I don't have that many shelter kits in the country. <laughs> if I take 1,000 down, how do I distribute the shelter kits? It's about managing that process to ensure that there is social equity.
3: There is a balance. And the thing about disasters that we have to remember, no matter what, is disasters are about people.
1: Jane Rovins is an emergency management expert and senior lecturer at Massey University. She says Vanuatu's predicament is
3: seen all over the world. The problem in a place like Vanuatu is, logistically, it's a bit of a nightmare. You have hundreds of islands all over. Some are inhabited, some are not you have um, a lack of landing strips to bring in aircraft, you have a lack of deep water ports so they can't bring in the big shipments and you're relying on small boats, helicopters in a remote part of the world. And so it's hard because even with the best intention, it's still hard to physically get a medical team or water or food to some of these remote areas. And that's where this balance is, and I'm not sure there's a good answer to what the balance should be. It's something we face in all events. Um, we've seen it in China, we've seen it in Nepal, we've seen it in the U.S. We saw it here in New Zealand. And we will continue to see it in all of these countries because there is not a good answer to any of it.
1: A week after the cyclone hit, the bulk of the aid remained stacked and stored as assessments continued to be carried out. But a group of concerned local businesses decided to start their own relief effort. I joined them on their voyage to the badly affected Shepherd Islands, also known as the Dry Islands, because they have no natural groundwater source. The first task was to fill 2010 10-litre water containers and load them onto a small cargo barge along with a hundred bags of rice and other food and medical supplies. The boat, the Epi Dream, is ideal for shipping supplies right to shore with its very low draft and a front ramp that can be lowered for difficult beach landings. But conditions on board are anything but dreamlike. We visited five islands over three days, sleeping on the bags of rice at night while the waves washed across the deck and around the water containers at our feet. On the first island, Mataso, we found the first indication that the Vanuatu authorities might have got their priorities wrong. An elderly woman, Norsi Marcel, had been separated from her family in the fury of the cyclone and struck on the head by flying debris. The elders told me she survived for six days while they waited for help to arrive. The village cemetery was in a little clearing just outside the village. It was surrounded by fallen trees and we had to step carefully over sheets of twisted roofing iron and a small limestone wall to reach Norsi Marcel's grave. It was covered with a pile of beautiful white pebbles from the beach and placed carefully on top were some gifts. A bunch of flowers, some pretty bottles of perfume and a solar flashlight. Wrapped in plastic, protected from the elements.
2: You gladly to receive you from from the boat up to the dry land. So the song that we are going to present. Amen now. Amen rejoice in the Lord God always. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. All time his name is always to be praised.
1: On another island, MI, a distraught school principal, Richard Janeri, told me that three separate assessment teams had come and gone, but no aid had arrived.
2: What are we going to say? We already gave them information about our household, so it's like we are all confused. Are we going to receive help apart from questioning, apart from pictures? Are we going to receive help coming or no? So it's a bit frustrating, yes.
1: What are the needs? of people on um, this island in terms of the recovery.
2: The main priority needs now is water, shelter and medication. All these three are important to restore and give a good health for people to rebuild.
1: But the government was still waiting for enough aid and logistical support. Kiri Manasa was
4: the chief government spokesperson. In response to criticisms that the government has been uh, slow in delivering the assistance, I w- basically I would say that uh, It's not really that we're delaying the assistance. The issue really is the amount of uh, uh, relief that we've got is really not enough to go out yet. Uh, And also we have logistical problems. The logistical challenges that we've been having is that uh, because of the scattered nature of the islands, uh, it's difficult to reach all of them. And so we're hopeful that we will be having uh, HMS Canterbury from uh, New Zealand, and also the Australian boat, uh, HMS Dropbrook, and the uh, French uh, Navy boat that's also arriving shortly. Those boats will come in and help uh, Vanuatu to deliver all the uh, relief that we're stocking at the moment. The government is not deliberately delaying the delivery of the assistance. All it wants to do is make sure that the relief goes out all at once and everybody benefits from it.
1: Kiri Manasa says the government also had good reason not to rush in to help, with the staple yam crop ready for harvest at the time the cyclone struck.
4: People from the islands, uh, we, you know, a lot of them, live off their root crops, and uh, the government has calculated that uh, they will still be able to survive with the food that they have, and especially with the yam season at the present. Uh, usually, yams can last uh, for. Uh, uh, a number of ta- uh, days and, and so the government is banking on, on the people to be able to be using those until relief supplies reach them.
5: It was never going to be perfect um, the immediate numbers out were that around two-thirds of the population had been um, affected and were in need of food. And that Ian was the McInnes that sort
1: of is the done. chief executive of Tear Fund and chair of New Zealand's NGO Disaster Relief Forum which brings together groups helping countries pick up after disaster strikes.
5: As it was, it took a little longer than expected. It was three weeks. I was up in Vanuatu at the three-week mark on Tanna Island in the southern sort of group of islands for the country and the final food distributions for the first batch of food were only going out then and that felt a little bit slow but all efforts had been made to that point to keep the Vanuatu government and its coordination mechanism uh, in charge of the response and there'd been quite a process in the run up to that to getting really accurate data on exactly which households which villages, which communities um, had what needs, not just for food but for the whole array of humanitarian services that were about to come
3: Hey is there a water bottle in there?
1: While the UN agencies, NGOs and faith-based organisations were forced to toe the line and play a diplomatic game with the Vanuatu government, there was another group of actors who had no such political concerns.
6: Dragonfly's been in the South Pacific for a number of years and we've been very, very lucky to crew some of the most incredible spots down here.
1: Mike Gregory is the captain of the superyacht Dragonfly, which I came across by chance, helping deliver aid to Shepherd Islanders. Its billionaire owners were not on board and did not want to be
6: identified. Spending five or six months in Vanuatu over the last couple of years um, has been an absolute treat. It's one of the most beautiful remote areas in the world, uh, with some of the most incredible people, the most hospitable people that we've ever met, showing us their very, very diverse lands, um, waterfalls, mountains, volcanoes, beaches amazing diving, an incredible culture, and when the storm hit, we as a crew, and fortunately supported by the owners, um, felt that there was no better team to come down and help, providing aid, search and rescue, delivering water, delivering food, and just trying to do as much as we can to help the people of Anahuata. Hello. Hey. Hello.
1: Hello.
6: Hello.
1: The so
0: so far today, i have calculated the watermakers running. you We've pumped more than 23,000 litres to, to two different islands. AJ
1: is one of the ship's engineers and is the heart and brains of the watermaking and delivery team.
0: First island was about 20,500 and another 3,200 to this island here, so you know, we've, we've done good. And the watermakers are just about keeping up with the, the discharge.
1: He's part of a multi-skilled group, which includes ex-Navy SEALs running logistics, engineers and medics, and water purification experts. They were all brought together by the Dragonfly owners to deliver aid and provide an essential emergency response to remote islands, most of which had not received help more than a week after the cyclone. Medically, we're seeing a lot of kids with running sores, infected wounds, um, some upper respiratory problems. We're seeing some signs of conjunctivitis and yaws and uh, they're reporting increasing numbers of health issues with the elderly population here. I recommend that we run a full clinic, say again, a full clinic uh, for as much time as we have left here on
0: the island. How copy? Over.
1: And this was all carried out in coordination with Vanuatu's disaster authorities, who Captain Gregory had convinced by telling them they had a limited time to utilize this huge resource. The dragonfly was able to make use of its full 27 knots and 4,500 nautical mile range to speed from island to island and investigate any reports of severely affected communities. Captain Gregory was also able to request helicopters for urgent medical evacuations and to get thousands of litres of water to people in otherwise unreachable places.
0: The
6: helicopter's just dropped off. A load of water. We're pumping out of the container here. Through our little fresh uh, fresh water pump, now we're delivering it to the locals here. We've got two storage uh, containers for them. Start decamping straight
1: away so we can be as efficient as possible. I found a useful role on the team as a speaker of the local Bislama, translating for the crew as we made contact with the villagers. Yeah. South River, na or no? Yes, yes. South River. Yes. Over 12 days, we travelled from the Shepherd Islands in the north right through to Tana in the south. It was going on two weeks since the cyclone, and everywhere we went, we found people in desperate need of help.
0: We're currently looking at 90% of structures completely destroyed, Uh, almost everything is down
1: here. Uh, The 10% that seem to have survived are severely damaged, no roofs. The medical clinic was destroyed. They're currently using a lean-to. Um, and there's no trees remaining either, so we're beginning to see signs of exposure among the population. And uh, the lack of shade, the lack of roofs is becoming a critical issue. Break. Some villages were in a worse state than others, but the core needs were the same: water, food, shelter, and medical supplies.
2: We just want to say thank you what you've done. It's a very big job. Uh, to Matasso is one of the main victims uh, of this uh, cyclone. So, as you have seen from the chopper, uh from the trailer that you are standing now, it's more affected. So, we need more help to come. So, again, we would like to say thank you.
6: So, we've come to the end of our time here in Vanuatu, and I am incredibly proud of what we've achieved. The boat, the crew, and the support both at sea and ashore has been absolutely fantastic. We've delivered over 62,000 litres of water, seen and treated over 250 casualties, arranged and facilitated three medivacs, and delivered in excess of five or six tonnes of medical and food aid to those that need it most. We're very sad to be leaving, and we really hope that the yachting and international community continues to help those that need it most. During one of the Dragonfly's aid drops,
1: a helicopter landed carrying the Prime Minister Joe Natuman who was surveying the damage. It didn't escape the notice of the local villages that an election was on the horizon.
2: I want to just visit this island, just to assure people, the government, is with them and will provide the necessary relief, particularly shelter, food, water, medicine and other necessities and particularly government infrastructure like the schools and health centres that we will uh, rebuild and so people can start all over again and rebuild their own lives.
1: An Vanuatu academic at Victoria University of Wellington, Paula Molisa, says political and cultural considerations complicated
4: aid delivery such as intercommunal politics including political, you know, political issues around who gets what communities get what, uh, which leaders are seen to take the lead and so on. And I, I think it'd be naive to think those issues weren't present, but I also does a uh, huge disservice to public sector staff in Vanuatu and elsewhere, who I think are just as frustrated as, anyone, as everyone else that things aren't moving as quickly as possible. But I also think out of this process there should be some important lessons on how to carry out this kind of disaster relief, disaster management, going forward, not just for Vanuatu, but for the wider region as well. Back
1: in Port Fila, two weeks after Cyclone Pam, the disaster authorities had finally started the formal distribution of relief aid. Emergency management expert Jane Robbins says Vanuatu's insistence on controlling aid is a growing global trend.
3: So, no, this isn't unique, and we're seeing it more and more, where governments are sort of asserting themselves and saying, we want your help, but you've got to help us in ways we think we need help. Where I struggle with this um, is in the case of, say, Hurricane Katrina in the United States. When the U.S. government told every all the foreign countries, we don't want your help, no one said a word. But when a country like Vanuatu stands up and says, we don't want your help, or Nepal did the same, has done the same thing initially, we don't want your help right now, we start to get critical of it. And it's a bit of a double standard, which isn't fair to countries like Vanuatu or Nepal, because they do need the help and they know it. They just need it on their time.
1: But do governments have to complete all their disaster assessments before they can deliver aid? I mean, no, they don't, and they have two forms of an ass- assessment. And in fact, they
5: didn't do a full in-depth one, or if they were, that was just coincidental that they'd moved to it. There's a rapid assessment, and it's exactly as it as it reads. It's designed to get very um, basic information in, um, so that the initial distributions of aid, and particularly the, that means shelter materials like tarpaulins to in order to be able to shelter from the rain, and food, the first food and water deliveries. At some point, it breaks down. And it's very important that government, the UN, the humanitarian actors get together and work out exactly how are they going to action those plans all the way to the end of the line, because if it breaks before it hits the community, well, it hasn't done the job.
1: In the next few weeks, the Vanuatu government will wind up its humanitarian relief efforts and look to the reconstruction and rehabilitation phase. The World Bank says the country's damage bill is more than $400 million, two-thirds of the country's gross domestic product. There is concern the country does not have the capacity to fund this with huge loans and there needs to be reprioritization of existing development projects. Meanwhile, the Vanuatu government has called for future relief funding and donations to be channeled through its own coffers. Ian McInnes says this is a bad idea.
5: Routing all aids through governments is, is a very bad idea for all, for all the obvious reasons. Not least, it can be hard to trace. Uh, um, there's a lot of folks who don't trust um, the efficiency. Uh, um, there, there can be problems with corruption, and that was the case in some of the early food distributions, and I, I saw the government move quickly and rightly to say that they would prosecute uh, anyone uh, found um, stealing food aid, and that's the right message to send people. Um, you don't get a stealing aid when folks need it most, um, and so uh, I just think centralizing it was a very silly thing to say. Uh, uh, it's not how the humanitarian architecture works. But Jane Rovens disagrees.
3: I think the real question on that becomes, does the government have the capability to deal with tens of millions of dollars in aid? And a lot of countries don't. So they channel them through local partners, or they come in in aid packages. Pros and cons to that. A lot of aid packages have... Stipulations on them. We'll give you this if you do this. You know, so some governments are turning those away, just flat out saying, no, you can't tell us how we should be spending this. Again, it depends. If they're fiscally responsible and they can prove fiscal management, I have no problem with the idea that aid would go straight through the government. They know their country better than others.
1: Vanuatu is still reeling from the storm they called the monster, but many are calling it a miracle. After all, only 11 people died and major outbreaks of disease have been avoided. The country has six months to hone its disaster management skills before the start of another cyclone season. I'm Kuroi Hawkins, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to share any thoughts, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is RNZ_Insight. underscore insight. I wrote and presented this programme. It was produced by Sally Round with technical production by Dan Biban.